think what I see as healthy, holy masculinity is this mixture of an inner strength, an inner integrity of character that has the ability to be compassionate and at the same time bestow strength on others around them to provide a sense of security and love to the people around them. Welcome to This Whole Life, a podcast for all of us seeking sanity and sanctity, and a place to find joy and meaning through the integration of faith and mental health. I'm Pat Millay, a Catholic speaker, musician, and leader, and I'm happy to bring you this podcast along with my bride, Kenna, a licensed marriage and family therapist. This is the stuff she and I talk about all the time, doing dishes, in the car, on a date. We're excited to bring you this podcast for educational purposes. It's not therapy or a substitute for mental health care. So come on in, have a seat at our dining room table, and join the conversation with us. We are so glad you're here. Welcome back to this whole life, everybody. Hello. How are you? Good to see you. It's actually not good to see you. I can't see you and you can't see me, uh, but it's good to be with you today, wherever you find yourself. Hopefully your week, your day is going well and it's full of love and joy. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in with us. I cannot wait for the conversation that we've got in store today. Uh, before we get into it, just a, a reminder and an encouragement to rate and review this whole life on the podcast player of your choice. And uh, maybe for this episode in particular, sharing it with somebody that might benefit from it could be a really valuable thing. Um, and may I be so humble as to suggest that maybe there's a man in your life who would benefit from this. Maybe the phrase man in your life sounds funny to you. So maybe there's a brother or a friend <laughs> or a father or a son uh, or an uncle or a priest that could really benefit from this. So uh, thank you for all your support. Uh, you can always reach out to us on Instagram, uh, online at thiswholelifepodcast.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. Uh, friends, we are blessed to have um, a band of brothers here in the podcast recording studio. Our guest today on This Whole Life is Ben Baker. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he's on the team with the Martin Center for Integration, the group that brings you This Whole Life. Ben, welcome aboard. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today, Pat. Good. My pleasure. My pleasure. Welcome to the Upstairs Podcast Studio, which you were admiring uh, in all of its messy glory earlier before we started. Glad to have you here. <laughs> yeah. Excited to get to get the ball rolling in this conversation here. You and me both. Absolutely. Yeah. So before we get to your true authority on the subject of just being a man, uh, give us a little background about who you are, Ben. Where are you from? Uh, where have you been in your life? What brings you to this particular topic from your lens today? Yeah. So I grew up in the great state of Iowa. Yes. You and me both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a band of of Iowan brothers here. That's right. Go Which Hawkeyes. I thought that like, go Hawkeyes. Okay, so you're Des Moines, right? Right. So right. that's a little closer to Iowa City or Iowa State, I should say, Ames. So yeah. so what's the, do you have Iowa City, Iowa connections or? My grandpa went to Iowa. Okay. And so my mom's side of the family, some of us are Hawkeye fans. Some of us have gone to the dark side of the Cyclones. <laughs> But it's we still love thing. them. Anyone outside of Iowa doesn't care about any of this. But like every state has their own little crazy rivalry, right? Yep. And people in Iowa, they don't have we don't have any pro sports. Right. So like it this is it. You just you hate instinctually the other side. Now I grew up where I actually didn't care that much and I really don't have any hate for anyone in Iowa, but uh it's a funny Iowa thing. So uh, so if you're listening, we're going to tell lots of Iowa jokes and you'll be bored. I'm just kidding. We're not going to tell any more Iowa jokes. It is funny. I was thinking this morning that like two Iowa guys on the podcast, neither of whom live in Iowa anymore. So as much right. as we can say that we love our great state, it would seem to be maybe a minor indictment against Iowa that we have chosen to not live there anymore. So I love it, but I'm also glad that we live in Minnesota. So amen. Anyway, so from Iowa, carry on. Yeah, so grew up in Iowa, um, came up to Minnesota um, actually to go to seminary at the University of St. Thomas, St. John Vianney Seminary there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I spent four years discerning whether I was called to the priesthood or to married life. And after those four years, um, discerned that I was called to married life. A little after that, I met my wife um, 
I knew her a little bit at St. Thomas. Um, but so a little after that, we started, we started dating, um, and got married. And then, um, somewhere along the line there as well, ended up going to grad school to become a marriage and family therapist. I felt this desire to be able to, um, help heal and build good families. Um, and so I've been uh, working as a marriage family therapist for the last four years and are now licensed and um, really blessed to be on board with the Martin Center for Integration here in the Twin Cities. Awesome. So glad to have you with us. Yeah. Not just on the podcast, but with the practice, the clinical practice of the Martin Center as well of restoring and healing families from a Catholic worldview like you were talking about. So. Yeah, excited to have you with us. And we were, we were talking earlier as well. The great irony of having you on this podcast is that you, uh, while you have many great experiences of manhood, you live in a home surrounded by females. Right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. We have we have two little girls, three and one, and we actually have a third on the way coming in October. Beautiful. So I'll be a dad of three daughters. Beautiful. Just yeah. swimming in estrogen. That's yep. right. So Blessed you... among women, right? <laughs> exactly. So you will need to just have some really strong, firm manhood to compensate for all the beautiful femininity in your house. It'll be great. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah right. It's, <laughs> just watch Die Hard once a week and you'll be fine. That's okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, like we always do um, at This Whole Life, we love to start off with kind of a high and hard of the past week or month or so just to check in. Uh, do you have a high and hard to share with us before we get rolling here, Ben? Yeah, so um, my high is that I had my first softball game of the year. So I grew up playing baseball. I loved it. Um, It was one of the ways that I connected with both my parents, but I think particularly my dad. It was Mm -hmm. something that we shared. Yeah. Um, He actually came to the softball game the other night. Both my parents did. (laughs) Yeah. So it kind of felt like the olden days. Awesome. But it was just a great time to be out there with with some brothers, Um, and. It, on the baseball field or the softball field, it's one of those places where I feel most like myself. I just kind of get into the flow zone. I'm not saying I'm good necessarily, but it's one of those places where I just feel like myself. And yeah. so I had yeah. forgotten. It'd been three years since I'd played in a softball league. Right. So I had forgotten what that feeling was like. And I came home so energized after the game, I could barely sleep. <laughs> My wife was saying I was like a little boy again. I was just, I was just floating when just I came home. Just recapping every inning with That's her exactly that. what happened. <laughs> She did a great job pretending to care. I was going to say, did she patiently listen yes. as if she cared? Okay, all right. Because she cares about you, but not necessarily a softball game. Okay. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh. I'd say my heart from the past week, um, my wife and I were asked to give a talk on marriage. Um, and we're novices at giving talks. And so we had a little bit of time to put it together. And so there's a little bit of a crunch, a little bit of a stress to get it all put together. Yeah. Ah, we don't feel super competent at it yet, right? And so there was, um, and we also approach preparing for talks differently. Oh, yes. And so it was a great <laughs> exercise in conflict resolution this past week <laughs> as we prepared to give a talk about marriage. And so that was a hard, and also one of the points in the talk that we're giving is that conflict is a place to dive into deeper intimacy right. with your spouse, to get to know them better. <laughs> We'll see if that happens after this week. Do as I say, not as I do situation. Exactly. (laughs) I'm laughing really hard because Kenna and I have been been very blessed and very honored to be invited to give talks for years now. And that that is truer words I've never been spoken because (laughs) she and I um, approach preparing for anything, but especially maybe a talk very, very differently, right? We're like... I'm way more just like freewheeling, like it's a bullet points, but we'll throw some stories in there on the fly. I'm going to react to the audience. We're going to gauge the energy. And yeah. Kenna's like, I'm going to write down every single comma. And if I miss anything, it's going to throw off the whole train off the rails. You know what I mean? And like both of us have come to center a little bit now, mostly to support each other. But it's also made us both better presenters, I think. So so there's a light at the end of the tunnel is what I'm trying to say. But uh, good yeah. to know. Good to know. <laughs> And that talk is tonight, right? Yeah, tonight. Okay, so as we record, tonight is the talk. We will pray to St. John Chrysostom, patron saint of public speakers, for you and your bride. And maybe we'll throw up some holy family prayers for the good of your marriage in the process. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> um, well, my uh, my heart lately has been um, in the past... Yeah, gosh, it's been the past maybe 10 days. Both Kenna and I have had the... The, the great blessing to travel separately 
to go help do some training for different Catholic organizations around the country. So Kenna was in New York City last week helping out a, a teaching fellowship Catholic organization with some of their like staff training around mental health and healthy boundaries, things like that. Um, I got to go down to Florida for literally like 23 hours <laughs> earlier this week wow. to go do training with Catholic Heart Work Camp, which is a, a, a Catholic mission organization over the summers that host Catholic mission trips around the country and do training with their staff about mental health and leadership, things like that. And both of those are amazing privileges. It's really fun. I, I enjoy traveling more than Kenna does, but she, even she had a great experience, great working with the folks that we were able to meet up with. But it just presents challenges both time-wise, like being separate from each other and, and having to work extra hard to stay connected when we're separate. Um, and then whoever's left is kind of left with the brunt of taking on the whole household responsibility pie all by themselves. So managing, getting kids to and from Kenna was also, she got back from New York at like one thirty in the morning, the, the technical morning of the last day of school. So she got back at one thirty in the morning. She had to wake up at like six or whatever. And it's just the big excitement around the last day of school, tons to do. It was just, it was a lot. So again, like huge blessing. Don't regret a minute of it, but it's just difficult at times, you know? Um, I think my high is also baseball related too. actually. We, um, we have two boys. Our oldest two boys are playing baseball this summer, really for the first time. They've never played like organized baseball before. So one is doing like normal kid pitch. And then the, the other one, the coach has this little machine that we never had in 1994 when I was playing, but this little thing that like flings the ball at the kids so that it's consistent and he can still hit it but if they get past like four pitches they just give the kid a t and they just we're not going to worry about yeah, it anymore yeah, yeah. um but it's super fun just to like as you know like baseball is i had a friend in college who called it it's appropriate that it's called the national pastime because you just pass time like <laughs> it's not every pitch isn't the most crucial thing in the world like you can get up and go to the bathroom get a hot dog you can talk to your friend like when you hear the crack of the bat you should turn around. But until that point, you're just, it's just free and easy and summer, you know, easy going. And it's been so fun to just like chill out, watch some boys play baseball. The stakes are very low right now. So there's not really any yeah. stress. Um, and our oldest son, especially he, it's his first year playing organized baseball. And it turns out he's actually a pretty good pitcher, which is fascinating because no one when they're 10 years old is a good pitcher no <laughs> but uh but he's having a lot of fun with it more than you know more important than anything else and it's just it's a blast to watch so That's even awesome. kenna who really cannot stand baseball with most of her being she acknowledges that it's fun to just watch her boys play even if the sport they're playing is not the most enticing thing in the world <laughs> so yeah it's been a definite high lately it's pretty great mm. well speaking of boys and manhood and sports and other kind of cliche, maybe trite things. Uh, today, we get to talk about masculinity and authentic manhood and what it means to be a healthy, holy man in today's age, which is, frankly, a lot easier said than done. I think from both of our experiences, I think anybody listening out there, you can probably acknowledge that there are all kinds of ways that that manhood and masculinity get get portrayed or skewed incorrectly in in media, in music, and certainly in the lives of individual men. So we're really excited to to talk this through. Um, ben, as a man who works in the mental health field, um, I'm sure that you're aware that there can be some hesitancy around the ideas of mental and sometimes even spiritual health among men. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess uh, to start off the conversation, what are what are some of the ways that you would see our culture getting manhood incorrect? What are some of the ways that manhood is not expressed appropriately or accurately out there in the world? And then contrary to that, what what is at the heart of true genuine manhood? Like what what is masculinity intended to be? Yeah, and I think I see there's this false dichotomy that arises in our society. Hmm. Um, men tend to go to one of two extremes a lot of times. And obviously this is an oversimplification, but either they go to the extreme of prioritizing being strong, almost to this place of being domineering and hmm. um, not engaging with the humanity of others around them and trying to almost prove themselves that hmm. they're, they're good enough men, right? And so this is where we see men um, 
engaging in behaviors that can be hurtful to others. Right. On the other side of things, we see men who are maybe timid. And there's nothing wrong with having some timidity sometimes. I know I, I do myself, right? Yeah. But they shirk away from responsibility, from taking initiative in their lives, from engaging in the lives of people around them. And because of that, there is this lack of confidence in themselves, but there's this lack of ability to bestow confidence on people around them. Mm. And I think what I see as healthy, holy masculinity is this mixture of an inner strength, an inner integrity of character that has the ability to be compassionate, to have a, a fleshy heart. Yeah. And at the same time, bestow strength on others around them hmm. to provide a sense of security and love to the people around them. Um, just in my experience in working with young men, whether it's clinically or pastorally, like I've, I've led some small groups for youth groups, um, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I keep seeing is boys in society right now seem to feel purposeless and directionless. And I find that interesting because I think there isn't a great pathway to that middle ground of an inner strength that's able to engage in the more human side of the human experience. Um, And so to be able to provide that sense of structure and purpose for a young man, I think allows him to engage in this process of um, becoming that healthy, holy man as he matures. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing, um, reading an article years ago uh, that struck me as so insightful. And it it wasn't a faith-based article, at least from what I could tell, but it was the first time that I'd seen somebody kind of delineate that dichotomy the way that you're talking about. And the Mm. way that he, it was a a man who had come back from uh, service in Afghanistan with the army, and he was lamenting the lack of brotherhood once he got back to citizen civilian life. Interesting. You know? So he, you know, he would say in the army, like brotherhood is built in, and it's kind of a life or death necessity. Like you either form brotherhood or you put yourself and others at risk. You know, and he would go through like, yeah, sure, we're doing strong, you know, tough army things, but we're also like crying with each other over the guy whose wife has now left him while he was overseas, right? So yeah. he said it wasn't just this like uber masculine, let me flex my muscles type brotherhood. It was it was this both and. So when he gets back home and there's just nothing. Like men aren't doing either of those things actually really well. And he was he was thinking through kind of his early formative stages, looking around at, at uh, kids around him as well. And he saw this kind of um, challenge that he identified of boys growing up that, that boys are maybe led into this place of confusion because on one hand, the moment a boy starts to like wrestle or roughhouse or climb too high or picks up a stick and pretends it's a gun, that that part of a boy tends to get shut down, right? Like mm-hmm. don't hit, don't wrestle, don't be violent because maybe the adults in their lives have baggage and we're projecting 30 years down the road of like, well, my kid's going to be a sociopath, right? If he, if he uses a (laughs) stick like a gun, like all this catastrophic thinking, you know, so that gets shut down. But then God forbid that a young boy shows any interest in the arts or, or music or God forbid dance or something like that. Right. We have, we have identified those things as feminine and therefore a boy cannot do those things and become a man. So then If a boy can't do the tough, strong, you know, kind of rough thing, and he can't do the sensitive, compassion, artsy thing, what in the world is he left with? And he's left with this kind of like stilted version in the middle of like, I don't even, I'm afraid to move. Like the moment I do anything, I'm going to step out of line and I'm going to be criticized, you know? So I think you, if you extrapolate that out into young adulthood and, and even, you know, older adulthood, I see a lot of ways that that gets played out um, where someone maybe does get stuck in the middle between those two extremes, or frankly, maybe they just say, screw it. And they just go for one of those two extremes to the nth degree. Right. So you get to like things like we hear the phrase toxic masculinity thrown around all the time. Now I, I saw clips on social media lately of some kind of a Christian's men conference somewhere in the world. And there were dudes literally like driving 
monster trucks over cars while holding like rifles at not shooting them. Thank goodness. But holding rifles out of the top of the monster truck. I'm like, dude, this is not what St. Joseph had in mind right here. This <laughs> <laughs> But you're saying so like there there is a place in the middle for the both and which yeah. which is something that I think as humans can be challenging for us. I would say maybe at least for myself, but maybe for other men as well, as a man that's very difficult for me if I have a a clear mission of one or the other. Sometimes that's a little bit easier to grab onto, but right. there's a there's a real challenge in kind of holding both intention, you know. Um I'm curious about what examples of that you maybe have seen from your life of either men that you knew growing up, men that you knew in seminary, um, formators and other priests in seminary, now that you're an adult, men in your life, who have you seen that, that has kind of modeled that for you of how to do both? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think part of the challenge that we're running into right now as a society, and we've seen all the statistics about absent fathers, is that there are less and less examples of good men to have that sense of healthy masculinity. Right. And I think it's anecdotally getting a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm fortunate. I think my dad was one of those people for mm. me and I have a couple memories and I'll just highlight one. I remember playing baseball, running down to first base, spraining my ankle. And within seconds, there was somebody holding me. Mm. And I thought to myself, man, the 10 year old playing first base has really strong arms. <laughs> Cause I didn't realize it was my dad. <laughs> and he must have sprinted out to the field and scooped me up. And I remember this experience of his strength holding me hmm. and supporting me. And it's that it breaks down that false dichotomy because you can be both tender and strong mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, I think as a man develops, he probably needs three things in his life to develop that sense yeah. of healthy masculinity. One, he needs a father figure many men don't have good relationships with their dad. So if that's you, that you're not slated to never evolving into a healthy man. Right, right. But a father figure, you know, I, my dad was great, but I also had some great coaches that challenged me, had that strength, but also really picked me up when I fell, when I failed at something. And they held both of those mm -hmm. in two. Um, and then I also think there's two other pieces that those father figures can do for you. One, they can start to call out the strength of character that they see in you. Mm. And as you go through ordeals, challenges in your life, that can be a place of initiation into manhood, into being like those men that you admire. And you need a man in your life that you admire to call that out. And they need to be someone you admire, not just someone you're like, eh, he's okay. Sure, sure. Someone you want to be like. Mm. And then I think maybe that third piece is also um, having that brotherhood around you of men in your life that are, you can, you want to emulate mm -hmm. your peers. And I think there's some, like I have, I, I'm in a men's group and those are guys that I see loving their wife and kids really well, right? There is this, this side of them that is emotionally in tune to what's going around mm -hmm. them in their life. They are devoted to those things. And they're also guys that I would call on if um, I needed their strength. For example, one of the guys in my group had a had a raccoon that was living underneath his deck. <laughs> and he called and said, guys, I need help trapping this raccoon and getting rid of it. <laughs> and it was one of those moments where it's like, I never thought a raccoon could be so scary. But when it started barking at me in the cage that yeah, he right, had, right. I was terrified. But I was built up by the strength <laughs> of the men around me. In order to like take care, you know, we were able to to release it somewhere type yeah, of thing. So yeah. yeah, those are maybe some examples that I've had in my life of men whose strength was there for me to build me up in moments when I was weak and in moments when I was strong. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm going to um, throw out a ridiculous example that is one of my favorites of what you're talking about. Yeah. And then I'll come back to more significant and meaningful examples. But like everything in my life right now, as a father of a bunch of children, my mind goes to Bluey and... There is an episode of Bluey, uh, the TV show, where the – so Bluey's dad, uh, first of all, 
is like this beautiful image of fatherhood just in media in general. And now, granted, he's a cartoon dog, so it's a little bit less realistic than I would prefer. But sure. he's a great example of what you're talking about, of like compassion and patience with his little toddler kids and also genuine masculinity and strength and, and inner fortitude, things like that, right? And there's an episode where he calls his two buddies because they're going to dig some stumps out of his backyard. So they, they block off the day. They call the whole day stump fest and they just take off their shirts and they start digging and making grunting noises in the backyard with <laughs> axes and shovels until they get these stupid stumps out of the backyard. Right. And in the midst of that, so you can appreciate he has two daughters and his wife in the house. That's their family. Okay. The daughters are trying to interrupt him constantly and they're turning the stump into a, into a tea party table. They want to do makeovers for all the dads that are cutting out the stumps, you know? <laughs> and finally, the mom has to tell the daughters, like, this is the way that your daddy needs to have fun. And they, they're looking at him like, this is fun. He's, right. just, he's working in the backyard. And she's like, trust me, this is fun, you know? <laughs> and it's great because it, it's this beautiful image of like, acknowledging the differences between the genders and you know not always but at least stereotypically some of the ways that they express themselves and the need for for purpose and meaning and joy and work and things like that um it just it it cracks me up that like if somebody called me if a buddy called me and said there's a raccoon under my porch i would be like i'm dropping everything i'll be there in 10 minutes i can't wait like yeah. that that kind of a challenge really gets me excited in a way that maybe the women in my life don't get so pumped up about you know what i mean right um and it really is. I mean, they're just the the more significant examples like you're talking about are like that image of your dad at the baseball game. Like that's beautiful because your dad didn't um, shy away from showing compassion to his son because he thought it would be weird or awkward or like too emotionally vulnerable or something like that. Um, but he also wasn't afraid of using his strength to help you out in a situation where you were in need, you know? Yeah. Um, and it really is, I mean, like among the many things on this topic that are difficult, probably the most heartbreaking is envisioning people that don't grow up with that kind of an image of their in their life, you mm -hmm. know, whether it's their actual father or not, the folks that grow up without any example of a man who's willing to be empathetic and strong, um, that, that I can see that having significant consequences for folks, you know? Yeah. Um, what about, I, I, I mean, and maybe I'll, I'll ask the first, the first question first and then follow up from that, from what you've seen in, in your practice and just what you've seen in, in helping to create more mental health among folks, have you seen what I think is probably fair about a resistance for men to engage with mental health resources and to pay attention to their own mental health? Definitely. And I think, the statistics speak to this. Sure. Um, the CDC found in America that men are four times as likely to commit suicide than women. And I think that mm. terrifies me, right? Or there was a study by um, the Survey Center on American Life that found one in five men say they've received emotional support from a friend recently. That means 80% <laughs> of men in America don't have a good friend. Wow. That tells me that we have a mental health crisis and probably a loneliness crisis for men. Sure, sure. And I think the low-hanging fruit is to blame it on men stunting emotional development in boys or men creating a stigma around mental health or asking for help. Sure. And I actually think that, while I think those things are true and I've experienced them in my own life mm -hmm. as obstacles. Mm -hmm. We, when I'm working with a man in my office, I'm asking myself these questions actually more of does he have brotherhood? Does he have examples of people in his life that have the tools for resiliency, for positive coping strategies? Mm -hmm. But also, does he even have an emotional vocabulary to express what's going on in his life? I think the modern American male was chronically invalidated in his emotions growing up. Sure. You're only allowed to experience anger and happiness and anything else is <laughs> off the table, right? Right, right. Don't cry, suck it up, those kind of things. And so men have struggled to be able to express their emotions and articulate what they need in relationships. And if you don't even know what it is that you're feeling or what you might need, that's anxiety provoking. 
that's going to lead to this hopelessness, helplessness of depression. And so that's one of the first things that I just try to look at when working with men is, do they have an emotional vocabulary? Do they have a sense of being able to ask for what they might need or acknowledge what other people might need? Yeah. Um, and I, that usually, that tends to be a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, that's, that's interesting because I, I, I wonder if the lack of an emotional vocabulary, which I have also seen in myself and in other men as well. Say with me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I am not above this. This is, this is the blind leading the blind, I guess, uh, is, um, I, I, I've seen that become kind of like almost a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways where like, be, because I don't have the emotional vocabulary, even any attempt to provide me more emotional education, formation, emotional maturity, even those attempts feel like an attack because yes. now we're on territory that is not safe to me because, yeah. because I wasn't shown that emotions are okay to experience, much less talk about. So I'm sorry, you, you want me to come to a place and talk about my feelings? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and like, you can look at any movie in the past 30 years and there are hilarious examples of men going through that exact thing. But yep. I think in some ways art imitates life in that way that I think men really do like, because, because maybe we've only given an example of two or at the most three emotions that are, that are valid, then any conversation on emotional territory feels like an attack and it feels like I'm really vulnerable here. So it's just easier to throw up a wall and to try to shut down the conversation than it is to risk growth and to yeah. risk um, expanding my my human experience as a man. You know, yeah. And I think that's part of the genius and the challenge for men. What I mean by genius is a lot of times we look for men to be the protector in a family, the one who is steady and stable. Yeah. Right. And we look at our history in American success, society. Right we prized stoic men coming home from world war ii we wanted stoic men in the foxholes not people who were necessarily talking about their feelings in the foxholes the challenge is once they got home they needed to talk about their feelings and they weren't able to sure and so i think one of the things that i found helpful just in a clinical setting and i think this applies to how we relate to each other as men just naturally and i think this can apply to people who have men in their life is coming at emotions at first indirectly. And one of the things I'll do with that is I'll kind of say, well, what did you think about when that happened? What was your reaction? What sensations did you have in your body? Without saying, how did that make you feel? Because that's going to shut it down immediately because (laughs) they don't feel strong when I ask them, how do you feel? Hmm. They have been conditioned and I have been conditioned in my life that if I talk about my feelings, I'm no longer strong. And that's one of the things that I prize most about myself quick quote here john eldridge wrote a book called wild at heart and it's one of the best books i've read on christian masculinity Mm -hmm. and he says one of the questions that perhaps the deepest question in a man's heart is do i have what it takes Mm. and so when i reveal to you my vulnerable emotions i still want you to be able to reflect back to me that i have what it takes Mm. and so when i work with men one of the things that i try to do is ease them into this experience of having emotions and then after they've shared their emotions help them regain that sense of strength Hmm. by honoring them in a non-cheesy way like right instead of saying like thanks for sharing (laughs) i'll say hey man i really admired your courage when you brought that up because that wasn't easy to talk about Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. this isn't clinical this may be more in my men's group giving a guy a good slap on the back after he talked about something hard and i think it's growing in that muscle of vulnerability and that's one of the beautiful things about having friends brotherhood in your life is you have to practice that muscle of being vulnerable and talking about mm-hmm. what you're experiencing mm-hmm. that you start to realize that to talk about your emotions is from a deep place of strength mm. and having men witness that to you back and restoring that strength in you and that resiliency and being able to overcome a challenging thing and talk about that experience is one of the most healing things in your life and i think one of the ways the lord wants to father us in our life it's such an interesting paradox because um, I think I think the reflex of a man would say, "Well, if I am vulnerable, then I'm not strong." And mm-hmm. and in a superficial sense, vulnerability is the opposite of strength, right? Like if, yeah. if I'm vulnerable in in a fight or in a battle or uh, in some kind of a physical manifestation, then I you can't be strong and vulnerable at the same time. 
but i think the the paradox is on on emotional grounds it is the vulnerability itself that is revealing the strength of a man right that it actually is far easier and requires far less strength to keep all that locked in to refuse to to acknowledge to communicate to refuse to to stretch and grow the the strength and the courage like the word you use that it takes to be open and to be kind of self-revelatory about emotional realities that's the kind of strength that is massively underappreciated you know and i'm sure yeah. in your office in other circumstances in your life as well yeah yeah to steal a quote that you shared with me recently i think i'm gonna paraphrase here gk chesterton talks about marriage being a battle yeah. right yeah and he's talking about it in a very positive sense it being a battle right. but i think to engage in that process of sharing that vulnerable spot of you is like that same courage that it's required to engage in the relationships in your life or to engage in something that is challenging mm -hmm. that can bring out that experience of, oh, this is a battle. Right. And I think if we call men into that place of saying it re requires courage to do this, mm -hmm. I, men usually respond to a challenge. Totally. Right, right, right. I want to go back to that that idea of the the core question of a man being, do I have what it takes? Because yeah. I I found that quote to be really fascinating and accurate and motivating as well when I read through that book years ago. And I see that show up in, you know, I, I did youth ministry for 15 years. Like that is that is motivating everything that a high school boy does, right? From yes. the dumb things that he does in front of girls to uh, playing video games with his buddies until 3 a.m. to trying to get good grades, even down to the point of not caring about grades. Like all of that in some way is related to the question, do I have what it takes? Am I, am I enough? You know, and I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about what it means for a Christian man specifically to address that question. Because I would imagine that, you know, the, the nature of all of God's creatures is that fallen as we are, there's a level at which we actually don't have what it takes, at least on our own, right? Without God, without yeah. the Father and his constant love and, and work in our lives, that I individually, without God, do not have what it takes. But because I am baptized, because I'm related to the Father in this familial way now, that now there's not a single place in my life where I don't have what it takes. And I am not in this mad rush to prove it through through work, through money, through belongings, through... Um, achievements, success, whatever the thing is, right? So right. how does a Christian man relate to that question then? Yeah. And I think this is where needing a father figure who can initiate you through a challenge in your life and bring you into deeper brotherhood, those three things are necessary because God uses that process. And here's mm -hmm. what I mean by that. Initiation, I'm not saying that you need to go out and spend a night in the woods and come back and be a man, right? It is not initiation itself that defines you as a man. It is a man in your life that you admire, that you hold in esteem, recognizing your strength of character, your integrity of living that becomes evident as you engage in something challenging. Hmm. And so it is speaking about your identity as a beloved son of God. And I'll get to that in a second, more than it is you earning love or earning respect or honor. Sure. Right. And I think I'll share a couple experiences from my own life that I felt the father, the heavenly father, fathering me into that sense of initiation. Mm. So um, right before I got married, my wife and I um, had landed on an apartment that we were going to live in after we got married and it needed a paint job. Fortunately, my dad is a painter by trade. And nice. so he came up the week before our marriage and he helped me paint the entire apartment. And it was an exhausting, grueling experience to yeah. try to get it done just in a short amount of time. After we finished it, my wife came over. Well, about to be my wife, right? She was my right. fiance at the time. right? <laughs> and she was flabbergasted. She thought it looked so good. It was such a cool experience to see that, right? And after she left, my dad turned to me and he said, Ben, it was so good to work with you this mm. weekend. I really admired the way that you worked hard and tried to provide a space for your new family. And I felt so encouraged and empowered going into my life as a married man that I had what it took to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Another example of that is 
Um, growing up, I always wanted to learn about cars, but just didn't have the time to get into it. And so um, as I started dating my wife and we became engaged, my father-in-law is pretty decent at uh, working on cars. And so he took me under his wing and showed me how to change the oil in my car. And then as after I got married in my wife's car. And so we probably worked in the garage a handful of times doing different things, but primarily probably changing the oil sure. in the cars. And I remember one time coming over to change the oil in my car and using his garage. And he's outside sitting, reading the paper. And he goes, Hey Ben, everything you need is in the garage. Let me know if you need any help, but I'll just be out here. And it was this moment of he thought I had what it took. Now, that was a very physical task. It wasn't as much about my strength of character. But I know that in my wife's family, he took care of the practical things in the house. That was one of the ways that he continues to show love. And to me, it was this experience of, Ben, I think you have what it takes to love my daughter. And that was a moment of being initiated into um, that experience. And what that does when you're initiated is you don't have to look for that question to be answered in other ways. I think you had mentioned earlier, you don't have to look for that question to be answered in your work. You don't have to work 80 hours a week as a workaholic to prove yourself or to buy a fancy sports car or um, engage in sports in your 17 fantasy football teams. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? You can just stay grounded and your belief that you're good enough just as you are as the beloved son of God. And mm. I think we see this biblically play out even of God blesses Jesus mm. at his baptism. You're my beloved son. And then from there, Jesus goes out into the desert right. and fasts for 40 days. Right. There is this identity of sonship that empowers you and compels you forward into more and more challenging things that requires more and more character and resilience. And I think the father in heaven uses those experiences of those men in our life to instill in us that sense of being a beloved son that we have what it takes yeah that's such a stark image that that idea of i mean i i've seen many examples in my own life of what you're talking about of someone that i respect and someone who's invested in me as mm -hmm. a young man basically turning the ball over to me and saying like all right you got this go for it and me my immediate reaction is i do not have this right what are you, what are you you're trusting me to do that are you serious like and sometimes it is like physical, tangible things of like doing some work on a car or, you know, cutting down a tree or something like that. Sometimes it would be like um, giving a, a testimony or a talk when I was in high school or college at at a ministry event. You know, somebody just saying like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to help you along the way. But at a certain point, you got this. You're going to be great. <laughs> Me being like, like them having more trust in my worth than i had for yes. myself you know like yes that that is such an amazing gift that i think men in particular need because there are so many ways that again like i know my limits and i have all kinds of self-talk in my own brain that says you are not good enough like <laughs> right like you you can't change the oil you're gonna break your car you it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna cost 20 times more than you just saved changing your own oil you know it's or, like you read my mind pat <laughs> right honestly no <laughs> i know that because i learned to change my own oil a few years ago because i did go through this moment of like i feel like a man should change his own oil you know what i mean yeah. it's this totally cliche kind of thing it's it's if you don't know how to change your own oil out there and you're a guy, you're still a man. It's yes, fine. It's, yes, this is 100%. the defining characteristic, <laughs> right? But I wanted to learn. So I watched some YouTube videos. Turns out I didn't break my car. But for the next, like, what, maybe month, I would drive around just waiting for the car to basically explode <laughs> because the engine had seized up. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it was just all like, I, I am aware of my own deficiencies. So the moment that like, thanks be to God, I have a great loving father of my own. I have had other great father figures in my life. Those moments when they implicitly say to me, you've got what it takes. I I, I felt that resi resistance of like, oh, I really don't, you know, like you don't see me clearly enough. Obviously, you don't know me well enough because if you knew me, you would know that I don't have what it takes. But at a certain point, they just like they hand you the wrench or the microphone or the whatever. And right. like off you go, like you just got to figure it out. And like that, that kind of, I, I always think about that image, especially with Joseph and Jesus as well, mm. that like the crazy, again, paradox of a human being teaching God how to do things, right? That yeah. like in some human 
mysterious way, Jesus had to learn to be a man from his human father. Like the God who created manhood had to learn how to be a man from Joseph. It just, I love that the, the, the imaginary non-scriptural moment where Joseph hands Jesus the hammer and he's like, go for it. You finish the table. And he's like, uh, excuse me. You know, <laughs> again, omnipotent God, but still needs to grow in human ways. Right. That, that move is really, I think, um, that's, a, that's a shifting, a turning point for many men as they, as they grow. And moments like that come throughout the whole lifespan. I mean, there are people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s who are still going through those kinds of moves of being invited and called into their worth by men who see it and can identify it in them. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. And I think maybe to add a final point to it is it requires a sense of risk in order to put yourself out there to be in a position where someone's going to acknowledge that you have what it takes. Mm -hmm. With the examples that you were talking about of you're going to do this talk. You're going to change your oil, right? You had to take a risk to even put yourself out there in order to do it. Sure. Right? Like you can't just stand in the shadows hoping that life is going to go your way in a certain sense, like putting your foot out there and then God takes it from there for you, I mm -hmm. think in a certain sense. Um, and so I think that's my encouragement to anybody listening to this as well is to, you may be stronger, more capable than you think. And to put yourself in positions, whether it's looking out for friends, looking to put yourself in situations where you might make a friend or learn something new or be mentored by somebody. Mm -hmm. But it takes a little bit of that courage and risk at first in order to be in that position to receive that. And I'm even thinking of that in, in the stat that you threw out about men who, um, you know, 80% of men haven't had a meaningful conversation with a good friend about something that they're feeling, you know, in the past month or whatever it is. Um, right. That to me, that seems like another way that men of, of any age can continue to identify the worth in each other. Cause I'm thinking of a similar kind of men's group that I'm a part of that we, you know, after a period early on where it was admittedly a little awkward at the beginning, cause yeah. like, I was good friends with some of the guys, but some of the guys I literally just met at this very first meeting and I'm supposed to talk about my, all of my life and all of my inner <laughs> thoughts and feelings and prayers with these guys. You know what I mean? Like it takes a minute and I, I can acknowledge that that's fine, but we're really at this beautiful point now where men have no issues talking about like struggles in their marriage and uh, illnesses that their kids have that they're, they're struggling to feel like they can take care of their child when they really don't have the the medical resources that it takes to cure a disease or something um, sure. men struggling with uh pornography or other addictions or just using substances to numb out things like that men who yep. are having a really hard time with balancing work and family life and they can see that it's hurting their their marriage and their kids because of it just when when a guy we either one-on-one -on -one or in a group of guys when a guy shares something about that themselves Number one, we talked about this already, the strength that it takes to be vulnerable like that and to say, like, I am allowing you to hurt me, but it's because I trust you and mm -hmm. I'm putting I, I have the strength to put myself in a precarious emotional position, you know, but then the implicit message that I'm sending to any guy that I that I reveal that stuff to is you have what it takes to handle this, you know, yep. like you are you are good enough you have the worth to receive what i'm giving and to hold it in confidence to hold me in prayer to support me um and i'm going to give you i have what it takes to give you the same kind of brotherhood in return you know like that that kind of a move is terrifying admittedly especially if it's something that that you and your guy friends have not been in the habit of doing right but yeah. I can't think of a single time, literally from when I was like 10 years old, not one time that there was a guy that I trusted that I said something like personal or kind of that I was uncomfortable with who didn't respond in a really like compassionate, accepting, strong, really like supporting fraternal way, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think unfortunately, some of us have those experiences, elementary school, high school, something mm -hmm. along those lines mm -hmm. where you reveal some, something to somebody, they're freaked out by it. They're like, dude, you're weird. Or yeah, that's that's not my experience. Sure. There's something wrong with you, Yeah, right? And then that colors 
our narrative of this isn't okay to do. Mm. And so we have to know that there are environments out there. There are these healthy environments where toxic masculinity doesn't run rampant, right? Right. Like there, right. people, there are healthy men that want to be there for you, to support you, to love you, to hold you accountable in a loving way too, to, cause they see that you are good and you're worth investing in. And so I think you're right, Pat, in my experience in being surrounded by good men, I've never had that experience where I felt like, yeah, I shouldn't have shared that. Yeah. Yeah. And so healing. Hmm. What about, um, are there any other kind of practical, practical steps, practical moves, practical resources you can think of that might help men to just continue growing in this way, right? There, nobody listening is like a zero out of a hundred on mm-hmm. the authentic manhood scale, you know, and there's probably not many listening who are a hundred percent authentically manly all the time, right? So wherever someone finds themselves, you, me, the, the, the guys listening here, what, what are some practicals to take the next step to continue growing, um, to continue seeking more and more of a healthy expression of this as we grow? Great question. I think the first thing that I would say is engaging in a, in a prayer life. Start there. Hmm. If you want the father to father you, you have to show up to prayer Hmm. and ask somebody to help you pray if you don't know how to do it. Right. And sometimes that's what I have to bring with my men's group is prayer is really dry. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for breakfast instead of praying. Totally. So I think that might be a starting point. Some other thoughts are, I think putting challenges into your life. I think it's easy for us to kind of live a life of mediocrity or comfort, Hmm. but just having something in your life that you have to turn over to God every day. And maybe it's already there in your life, but where you get to the point where you're like, I can't do this and I need you, God. Maybe it's a workout. Maybe it's taking a cold shower, not to punish yourself, right? But to say, okay, God, I trusted you that you're going to get me through this cold shower, whatever that (laughs) might be, right? But to see challenges in your life, not as an indictment that you're not good enough, but to see it as an opportunity to run into the father's arms to say, Ben, I have, you have what it takes and I'm going to help you mm-hmm. through this. I think a couple other things is we've touched on it, right? But find brothers in your life. Mm-hmm. Like it mm-hmm. is just so good. And guys that you can just hang out with and talk about sports, but those same guys also being the guys that you can tell when a tragedy happens in your life yeah, or when you're struggling with something. Right, right. And then maybe the the last piece is challenge yourself to grow in emotional intelligence and vocabulary. One of the things that I'll share with men in my office is a feelings wheel. And to listeners who have never gone to that point in their emotional intelligence or vocabulary, whatever you want to call it, they're like, what is a feelings wheel? That sounds so silly. Lucky for you, if you're listening now and you're confused, we have a whole episode about embracing emotions and the feelings wheel that you're talking about. Oh, so you can, awesome. go, you can go back. I'll put that link in the show notes for sure. Because if yeah. you send this to a, a man that you know, and he's thinking to himself, why in the name of St. Peter would I go after a feelings wheel? There's a whole episode. They can tell you why it's valuable. <laughs> <laughs> but what's nice about the feelings wheel is you you can go to it and say, I don't know how I'm feeling. Oh, that's the word. And there's this light bulb moment that goes off of like, it feels so gratifying to be able to explain your experience. I remember one guy who was a veteran um, was talking to me and we were able to talk about this feeling of calm. And he said, I haven't felt that in years. And it was just this relieving experience to be able to describe an emotion. Hmm. Um, And then lastly, I think there's some great material out there as well. Um, I had mentioned John Eldridge earlier. I've enjoyed his books like wild at heart fathered by God Um, for some young men. His sons actually have a podcast called and sons. Um, Hmm. And that's just, it's basically for young guys who are going through this process of maturing into adulthood and what that likes looks like in the Christian walk. Um, And then I think also seeking out a spiritual companion, whether that's a older man at the parish, maybe that's a priest, just somebody who can help you, identify maybe what the Lord is doing in your life, particularly mm. how is he trying to father you? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. And that's also practical and it's manageable too, because all of those, like one of the practicals that you lay, laid out was seeking out challenges to encourage growth and increase strength and resilience, you know, but 
all of the practicals that you mentioned, those are all challenges themselves, right? So just by nature yeah. of doing any of them, you're going to seek out challenges. And and it's always, I, I, I've talked about this with friends and with Kenna for years now, that, that the nature of a challenge, of a true thing that's difficult, and I don't know if I can do it, is so fascinating because it, it can lead one of two ways. In my life, more often than not, it leads in the direction of I feel like a failure if I don't do it the way I think I should have, right? right so like right. if it's a, if it's like running a race or a physical workout or if it's some kind of a spiritual practice or if it's a parenting thing, whatever it is, like a work-related situation, there are so many times that if I fall short in my own eyes, I label myself as a failure, right? And that is, of course a flawed way to look at a challenge, right? The challenge mm -hmm. is not about whether or not I reach perfection in this moment. The challenge is there to help me, to help encourage me in growth, right? And that also leads to the challenge by choice that you had suggested for our masculinity episode as well, which is asking yourself this week, um, how is God trying to father me? So again, God, our father, who is not, not because he's male, but because he's related to us, as scripture tells us, like a father to his children. How is God trying to father me? And how does that express itself in my life? So is he fathering me through the challenges that I'm facing, like we've talked about, and being formed and kind of, um, what's the word, um, like tried by, refined? Um, is it through being formed and refined by the challenges in my life? Is is he fathering me through the blessing of consolations in my life? That there are things in my life that are just full of blessing and obvious joy. And he's showing me his care for me in that way. Is, is God fathering me through an invitation to adventure or to be a little bit more spontaneous or playful in my life? To take on things that um, allow me to embrace the unexpected and to be surprised by the way that God and other people show up in my life, you know? Um, or maybe he's fathering me right now in, uh, asking me to trust him in a new chapter of my life. You know, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe a man out there is transitioning into college or into a vocation to priesthood or to marriage or, or single life. Um, maybe a man is making a career change or moving across the country to take care of aging parents, you know, whatever the case may be, um, maybe there's there's a transition in your life that God's asking you to trust in him right now. So so taking some time male or female if you're listening to this to ask right. yourself the question, how is God fathering me in this season in my life? Yeah, I love that. Anything to add uh before we wrap up in prayer here, Ben? No, thanks for having me today. This is one of those things that I get passionate and I geek out about talking about. So thanks for indulging me and having this conversation. We're happy to throw a microphone in front of anyone who has passion about things that they love. That's great. Yep. <laughs> Especially if they're mental health and faith related. Right. As we've seen in other episodes, it may just be comic book movies. I don't know. Whatever you want. <laughs> well, it's been a blessing to have you here with us, brother. Let's pray and then uh, we'll uh, wrap up and get on this journey of manhood ourselves as well. Let's All do right. it. God, our Father, we trust in you. You are our Father. You are our perfect Dad. And you have shown us the path to love through your own perfect and constant example of strength and also compassion. Lord God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And we pray especially for all men today. We pray for those who um, are confident in their journey as holy men after your image. And we pray maybe especially for those men who are filled with confusion or anxiety or uncertainty and even fear about the ways that you are calling them to live. We ask for the prayers of St. Joseph in particular for all men, um, for all fathers, husbands, workmen, and for men of all stages, ages, and varieties that we might be more and more men in the image of St. Joseph and that we can walk more and more toward our heavenly father as well. And we ask all this Lord in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, this is hopefully the first of many good conversations. Uh, if nothing else around the office, but maybe on the microphone down the road someday too, that would be great. Um, thank you again so much for being with us, Ben. God bless you to all of you listening out there. 
Have an amazing rest of your day, your week, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you about your thoughts about the way that masculinity looks in the church, in your own life, in the world, and how we can uh, help create a culture and a church that fosters even better, holier men. God bless you. We'll talk to you next time. This Whole Life is a production of the Martin Center for Integration. Visit us online at thiswholelifepodcast.com. Someday it's going to happen. And it hasn't yet. So, <laughs> God willing. <laughs> Maybe that's not this never day. Come. It is not, not this day. <laughs> that's right. Isn't that the, that's the Herb Brooks speech, right? Not today. Not. <laughs> oh, I, I was quoting Lord of the Rings. Oh, you were? Great. Oh, even better. Yeah. <laughs> I was quoting something a little less high culture. But, but, uh, but Miracle yeah. is great too. <laughs>